My name's Russ Clemmer. I'm the podcast host here at The Three Wins and really appreciate you guys joining us for another podcast. I'm with Legacy Advisory Partners here in Atlanta, Georgia. And today I have with me Lieutenant Colonel Josh Culp, all the way over there from New Orleans. And great to have him with us. And it's going to be a great conversation today around leadership, not only his role in the military, but also in business and in life and in family and all of the above. Josh, appreciate you being with us today. Hey, Russ, thanks for the opportunity to join this podcast. You've had some great guests on, so hopefully I can bring some value to what your others have. Absolutely, absolutely. So you and I have gotten to know each other a little bit and, and spent some time in person and wanted to catch your catch your story on the podcast and really um, get a get a sense of where the Lord's brought you up until this point, what you're doing now, where he has you going in the future in all of those different categories in, in work, career, because obviously, if you know, it, 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 it's not nothing that you are lieutenant colonel. It takes a little bit of work takes a little bit of follow through to be able to get to that rank. And I'm sure there's a whole bunch of stories behind that, but that's not all you are. Lord's got you as a, as a, a husband, as a dad, as a small business owner. And so we want to dig into a lot of those things, but, you know, just kind of thinking through some of that area. So just to start with, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you, where you came from, how you got to where you are right now and in any of those details, family work and, and service in the military and, and, on behalf of everybody involved, thank you for what you do, what you've done, and what you do, and what you'll continue to do. All righty. Well, so I'm Josh Colt. I'm currently in Covington, Louisiana, which is a suburb of New Orleans. It's on the North Shore in St. Tammany Parish. I am married to my beautiful wife, Leslie. We have two boys, six and two, Jack and Walt. I'm currently a lieutenant colonel in the Louisiana National Guard. I've been in the military for 25 years. 20 of that in the Louisiana National Guard and the other five, I was in the active duty army with the 10th Mountain Division. Mm. I got my commission as an officer through the ROTC program at the University of Louisiana Monroe in 2003. So, and then from 2004 to 2009, I served on active duty with the 10th Mountain at Fort Polk. And from there, I did tours in Afghanistan in 2006, 14 months in Iraq from 2007 to 2009 graduated ranger school. So that was a busy five years for me. And then 2009, I left the active component, joined the Louisiana National Guard and enrolled in grad school to get my MBA. So from 2009 to now, stayed in Louisiana National Guard, deployed to the Middle East twice, once as an operations officer, and then once as a battalion commander. In the Louisiana National Guard, in addition to deploying overseas, I've served on countless state and federal emergencies from the Deepwater Horizon oil spill to mm. hurricanes and tornadoes and Mississippi River flooding. We're, we're just prone to disasters in Louisiana. If it's, if it's going to happen, if it's going to be bad, for some reason it happens here. On the personal side, my wife and I owned a business called Hemlin Monroe, which was a women's clothing store from 2013 to 2020. It was a franchise of an organization called Hemline started in New Orleans and right now on a promotional products business called Hammer Dubs. They've been doing that close to four years. So Hammer Dubs is a combination of my two boys' nicknames. So Jack is nicknamed Hammer and my Walt, Walt is Dub. So combined it together, Hammer Dubs wanted something that meant something to me. So every time I did some work, 
and I can always think of my boys and put the best product forward. That's awesome. Hammer, how'd they get those nicknames? Well, you know, Jack and Hammer, that's just kind of commonplace. I think uh, I think I, the first time I heard it, my uncle said it to him. And then Walter, you know, dub. But okay. honestly, the first time I think I put the two together was we moved into our new house and I was naming my wireless internet router. And then a few months later, I changed the name of our business to Hammer Dubs. Yeah, so, yeah, nice. It's it's a nice conversation piece. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you said you said you're from that area too. I went to high school in this area. I was born okay. in Monroe, so the majority okay. of my life I've lived in Monroe, which is in northern Louisiana. Yeah. But in high school, my mom and my then stepfather we relocated down here to Covington. Gotcha. Okay. okay. So moved back here. 12 days after I redeployed in 2021 and it's been nice to get back here to where I've always considered home. Yeah. 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 Local. So kind of going back a little bit, digging, digging back into that, got out of high school and, and you, you were, did you do ROTC? How'd you end up on the army path? Well, so in high school at Mandible high, I needed a way to fund college and I didn't have the grades. So mom said, Hey, you need to join the National Guard. I didn't know what the National Guard was. And I found out that there were camouflage and had all this structure. Yeah. That, that, that definitely was not enticing to me when I was seven years old. But she kept pushing me to do it. And I joined seven days, six or seven days after my 17th birthday. And I, did, I was enlisted in the National Guard all throughout my college time. And then I joined ROTC. And so from that point, I became an officer, then went off into the army for five years. Gotcha. 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 Okay. So let's just take that like sliver of time. What, what would you say, you know, you, you kind of going through the, and, and do you have a relationship with the Lord growing up? Did you, did you, where did the Lord enter your career? Honestly, I've, I've always been a believer. I grew up, grew up going to church. My mom took me to church. My grandmothers took me to church. It was a part of my life early on yeah and then then it just wasn't from junior high to high school mm. through college mm-hmm. you know in the army different things there are there's always a chaplain providing some services and I would attend those services but really getting a relationship with the lord didn't start probably until my marriage so i got married in 2013 Yes. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, I knew that needed to be a foundation of a marriage and then had my first son in 2016, had my second one in 2020. Then mm-hmm. I was, you know, knew something was missing. And at this time, my wife and I are going to church, but it wasn't really until I got baptized in February of 2021 that I started getting more involved and reading the Bible, reading devotions, learning how to live as a Christian and Mm -hmm. not trying to be a perfect person, but just trying to add those aspects to my life personally and professionally. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So that was pretty recent. (laughs) Well, recent, but the Lord's been at work for a long time. Yeah. Lord's been at work a long time. And and anytime that that heritage, you know, grandmama taking you to church, that's a heritage. Yeah. 
you know, that that's a that's a lot of that's a lot of people doing a lot of faithful things in your life to get you to that point, you know, where where you may may have been tasting and seeing a little more clearly more recently, but all along the way, there's a there, there's an activity there. The Lord, you know, Lord's not idle. And he's working through people's hearts and minds. And that's very similar to mine growing up in, in you know, a family in a house and an extended family that that had the Lord in the right spot. But it took me, it took me getting into really getting into high school and kind of sorting through some things and realizing, well, gosh, I, there's a lot I don't I don't really know about. And then I decided to go to Bible college. Went to Columbia Bible College in Columbia, South Carolina. And my plan was to to, to learn more. I learned more than I would, I would necessarily say I, uh, learning and growing in your walk with him are two different things, right? They can be simultaneously done, but I learned more than I necessarily grew in my walk with him. But sometimes that's, that's a little bit how it goes, right? Sometimes that, that, that's how it goes and you accelerate with your walk with him. And then you have some periods of and so, you know, that three steps forward, two steps back kind of situation, I think that's, that's if anybody really wrote it down the way they should, that's probably how everybody is. Doesn't matter if the, the top preacher in the, in the world, everybody has that, that sanctification process and walk with them. But that's the good news. You're, you're walking in, you're walking in that process with him and, and, and he's able to affect those different areas. So you got out of high school, 17 you didn't like the camo or the structure, but you did it anyway. Yeah. At first I didn't. And then, you know, you go to basic training, you know, you, you kind of learn to like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even if you don't, you have to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It helped me a little bit early on in college. And then I kind of lost my way a little bit, but later on in college, when I was trying to, you know, as you get about halfway through or whatever, it's like, okay, what am I really going to do with my life? Yeah. I saw some things about ROTC and I was maturing a little bit. So I think this was around, I was probably about 20 years old and I joined ROTC and then learned what that was about, learned about being an officer, started liking the structure some more, wasn't mm-hmm. so bothered by wearing camouflage. Rank structure wasn't a big deal for me anymore. So just that maturity process was a big part of it. Yeah. So what are, what are two or three things that, that you learned during that time that you would kind of say set you up for the next stage of your career and your, your progression in leadership and teamwork? So during, in my early 20s? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Well, you got to be resilient when you're young. You know, there's, there's just going to be times where things just don't go right. You're not going to get the right grade. You're not, you're going to have setbacks. Things just aren't going to go right. And especially at that age, you know, you're not making a lot of money. You're a college student, all that. So early on for me, you know, with my background, my mom was a single mother at that time raising my sister. So there was no backup plan. You know, I didn't have anybody to lean on. Mm-hmm. for a lot of financial support so mm-hmm. you just had to be resilient yeah and res- being resilient as you grow in responsibility and own businesses and families i mean that is very important yeah yeah so resiliency what's another one patience 
okay, is a good one. Although I didn't have it much at the time, I didn't think I was applying much patience. I was patient in some ways. I was patient, you know, the process of becoming an officer. Mm. It's it's not an overnight thing. It, you know, to do ROTC, it's it's at least two years, depending on what path you're on. So you may get impatient and want to do something quicker and jump around and, and think you need to go do a different career, but you got to be patient and, and learn and wait that process out so you can achieve that goal. Yeah. So you, you got out of, you, you were in the, you were in the arm, you got out of college, you finished ROTC, got out of college, commissioned as a second um, lieutenant, second lieutenant. Yeah. The lowest officer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and even though you're an officer, it's the lowest officer. So you you made it out of college, right? You got your degree, you made it on yeah. the next thing. You're still not making a bunch of money as a second lieutenant, but you're you're doing something. You're you're so what what was that shift like? What was that? Because that that's where you're you're how many years are you are you committed to when you when you get in there to the army and you're second lieutenant? How many years are you committed to at that point? For me, when I joined, I only had a three-year commitment. Okay. Because I was in the National Guard prior. I wasn't on any type of ROTC scholarship. So my initial commitment was only three years. And I'm glad it was only three years because it, I didn't really know then. I knew I wanted to be an officer, but I, in 2020, when I commissioned, or when I signed up for ROTC, mm-hmm. no way would I have been able to write on a piece of paper that in 2023, I would still be in the military. Gotcha. Even though it may have been a goal in the back of my mind to be a career officer, I didn't really see myself as being capable of doing that. So where were we? What was the initial question? Just what what were some of the changes that occurred in those yeah. early years okay. being an officer? All right. So once you once you commission, you go to your first duty station. So this was 2004. So going in world events in 2004. The military was involved in Iraq heavily and Afghanistan. So I go to my first platoon at Fort Polk and you know, you're in charge of a platoon and you got a mix of people there. The, over, the majority of the offers, the NCOs in the platoon, not only had deployed once, but they'd already deployed twice. And so people with two deployments between really 2002 to early 2004, I mean, you're dealing with some pretty experienced individuals. And then there were a lot of new new soldiers who were new into the military like I was because in 2004, it was only a few years prior that 2001 had happened. Mm-hmm. So you're really, you're, you're joining an organization where half of the people, I say half the people are new, but everybody's very patriotic and everybody's idealistic about the mission. And then you got a lot of people who now technically you supervise or you're leading and they got way more experience than you do. Mm. Yeah. And at that time as a leader, I didn't really understand what questions to ask, how to take advice, how to, you know, sift through information and really overall how to, to be a leader without showing positive leadership characteristics. There was a lot of probably negative leadership traits I showed army on who who was there someone or, or a specific of it who how'd you kind of grow in that what were some key 
what were some key ways that you started to be able to grow? Cause that's, I mean, you, you're, you're over people who have been in the military, you know, for, for 20 years, right? Oh yeah. And you've been um, in, the, you, you've been in, you've been full-time for five minutes and you're over people who've been in there for 20 years. Yeah. So early on, you got to kind of figure out what you don't know. And with me, that was a lot. So luckily I was surrounded by a lot of good friends that I still keep in touch with almost on a daily basis today. They were pretty top notch. Mm-hmm. And you observe, ask questions. Why do you do this? Why do you do that? So you got to learn. So for me, I learned a lot from my peers. And then you can learn from superior officers that you want to emulate. You, know, you can quickly learn who you don't want to be in life by watching people. But you, you can also learn who you want to be. And then how does that person who's calm get something done? Whereas it seemed the word, if I was calm, I couldn't get anything done. So you got to learn how does that person prepare? How do they talk to people? How do they go about their day? And so it, it kind of started early. So, so just fast forward for a second. How do you, how do you repay that favor? Some of these, you know, up and coming guys beneath you, how do you go through that and, and kind of return that favor? Some of those superiors and other peers poured into you. So how do I develop leaders today? Mm -hmm. Well, I think you have to be a little bit vulnerable and transparent in this and that they, they, you know, you you learn more by failure than by, by winning. And so I like to think I pass on a lot of experiences based on things that didn't go right Mm -hmm. and give people an opportunity to see, Hey, you can do it this way. I'm going to share my experience and that'll give you some input on how you should handle that situation. And I think you get a little bit more respect by, from people by showing that you have not always had the right answers. And instead of people thinking that you've always done the right thing, because it's easy for a second Lieutenant to look up to a Lieutenant Colonel and think his career has been flawless. Sure. Even though, I've always been promoted on time and very good evaluations and so forth. There are things that just don't go right. And you get to share those. It could, yeah. be, a, it could be a failed range. It could be a convoy that didn't go right or a mission in Afghanistan that you just didn't apply the basics to and share those, share those. Yeah. That, that keyword vulnerability, I don't associate and, and this just may be, you know, lack of experience and I've never been in the military, but I don't, you don't often associate vulnerability with, with a folks. And I know that's not a, a, a great stereotype. No, it's, that's a true stereotype. <laughs> oh, is it? Is it? So, so, okay. So what, what, what leads to that? Because I'm, you know, just talking through as we've talked before, you've got the book, the great eight and, and people who've listened to podcasts in the past, you know, we talk about grade eight in, in that vacuum, right? The default is the vices, but we want to pursue the virtues. And vulnerability is key to having someone speak into your life, right? Yeah. Learn from your life by example, but also being able to speak into mm-hmm. your life. And, and so what what is that? Why is it not more? Why are people not more vulnerable? And, and what's what how do you get vulnerability 
not just showing vulnerability, but how do you get that into the mindset of those those people around you? Well, I can speak about times where I didn't really know that being vulnerable was a leadership trait. At times where, you know, you're 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 leading by telling people what to do, what to do, what to do, what to do, not how or why or the impacts if you don't those kind of things, I think your ego kind of gets in the way. I think the ego is the big factor there. You want to you want to appear, or at least for me, at the, until I learned how to be vulnerable, was that I'm the captain, I'm the major, I'm the senior ranking person, listen to me, you know, do as I say, and that this doesn't get you that far. And then you, you kind of learn that maybe that guy that was getting everything done by being calm and everybody respecting him, Maybe he's not the one always talking and having all the best ideas. So. Yeah, yeah. So the so the what what are you you what are some specific examples? What are some stories of you know, not share anybody's names, but just stories that you say, hey, this is an example of man, I'd like to have that opportunity over again. Okay. And I want I want to then I want to hear examples of when you did show vulnerability and specifics. All right. And just so the audience knows, we, these are questions that he's. I'm hearing for the first time. <laughs> we did um, a little bit of prep, but these are, these are on yeah, the spot. That's right. You, you, you're pulling these out. So when I first became a battalion operations officer. Uh-huh. It, it, just pause for a second. Yeah. What does that mean? Okay. So I was an operations officer over an engineer battalion. We had, you know, 600 soldiers, five to six different units. Mm-hmm. And the operations officer is the one who directs all activities related to the mission. You got to you got to coordinate with the personnel officer, the intelligence officer, the logistics officer, the signal officer, all all these other support staffs to put a plan together. The plan could be as simple as going to the weapons qualification range. Or it could be as complicated as going on a deployment. Mm-hmm. So those are the duties of an operations officer. So I would look, I would say early on as an operations officer, I, inside of me to be respected, I felt like I had to be the guy that knew everything, had the final say on everything. It ran through me. Gotcha. I didn't really understand how to manage a large staff. Mm-hmm. and the jobs that everybody should be doing and a lot of that is is understood because it's a brand new position and depending on your observations or your experience you may not even have any idea how an operations officer should should act and so you're trying to put all this together and manage a, a large team to run operations mm-hmm. and since I wasn't really aware of how to be an operations officer in some ways I cut other people out just so it could go through me so I could understand everything I could do the work I could we create these things in the army called operations orders it's five simple paragraphs but it's a detailed plan on how you do anything well it's the operations officer's job to put that together you know my name is on it and then the battalion commander's name is on it so I always had to 
philosophy, if my name is on it, I need to be the final approval. And that is right in some situations. But in some situations, you're out doing something else. Yeah. And you can't come back in. To, you know, you got to trust others. You got to give them some boundaries. You got to truly empower them so you can do things that you're truly getting paid for besides editing a document. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's, you know, it, in I translate that in my experience as someone who they, they, they want to touch too many details that it just so happens they've, they either need to hire someone to handle mm. or in your position in the military, there's already probably somebody at that rank that is oh, yeah. supposed to be doing those things. And, and that means they don't have a job. Right. They, they have a title, but they don't have a job. They don't have the responsibility. And that, that piece is. Yeah. So it's a delegation question. Right. That's right. So instead of them being able to take initiative in learning their job and bettering themselves, essentially, and sometimes they're sitting around waiting for me to tell them what to do. And then then I would get frustrated because they're not taking initiative. But I just had to look at myself and say, I'm the problem here. All right. How do I fix this? And it was really on my deployment in 2014 as an operations officer. We're in the Middle East, and that's kind of when it all became visible to me. So tell me how that happened. Well, what were the I mean, circumstances? Of, what, what was the what was the aha moment? I don't I don't believe there was like a I don't think there was some specific mission that stood out. So at this time. Our unit headquarters was in Kuwait mm -hmm. in 2014. ISIS had started doing, you know, causing disruption in Iraq. So we were sending troops into Iraq to do assessments, to look at facilities, to look at force protection, life assessment. Can we put soldiers there? We're sending soldiers in and make those type of assessments. So when you start expanding out a little bit, you, you've got to let go. Yeah. So with the the mission getting a little more complex, that was a natural part of that maturity. So yeah, you know, my, my battalion commander saying, okay, I, I, you're doing, a, you're doing a great job in some areas, but these are some areas where I think it's fine if you allow other people to do their job. Yeah. You know, there were some areas of the operations section I couldn't even touch. And I was clear on that, but there were some areas where I felt like I was very strong in, and I wanted to show that, show that strength. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, then there were some, there were some guys in the group that were doing a lot of reading and I started reading. I think the first book that kind of got my mind thinking about some of this was how to win friends and influence people. Yeah. Carnegie. Right. Yeah. Then I read the one minute manager. Yeah. And then it was starting to make sense about some different things. Then I started uh, applying some of that to myself, started seeing the big picture a little bit more. Yeah. In 2014, I, I wasn't even subscribed to a podcast. You know, you didn't have the resources that you do on social media now, like the three wins and all these resources yeah. you can go to get leadership advice. So everything was I, in a in a book. Or the yeah. Harvard Business Review, or, right? Or, yeah, or something like that. So you, you had to go find it. Yeah, yeah. So, so the so that's a that's an example of of vulnerability, 
and, and kind of being able to delegate and bring some people into those conversations and, and, you know, kind of thinking through, all right, here's some lessons I learned in my twenties. Here's some lessons I've, you know, I guess that was in your thirties, but for, yep. I don't know how y'all, you yes, thirties. So I was 33, 34 then. And I was a pretty new major when major the aha moment things started to make sense as a what is a leader supposed to be doing yeah yeah and and you know kind of looking and, and part of this is when we when you look at and I don't want to put anybody I don't want to pigeonhole somebody right there there's some great leaders just depending on what they've been through and and you know how the lord has forged them you can you can have somebody that's got great leadership skills at 20 you know that most people don't learn till they're 35 right that's right there you find those people and what what's been your experience and this is a, a question that i think i know the answer to but just what's your experience in now being able to reach down into the organization right and help bring some of those people along right you had that voice saying hey, you should probably do this in a little bit of a different way, right? You had somebody say, hey, here's where you're strong and here's where you need to work on a couple of things. And you're reading some books that give you a good broad application. So how do you now turn around and go and look for some of those people and bring them along in that? What's that process like? Well, so as a battalion commander, you're really the responsible for leading the leader development of everybody in your unit. Yeah. Specific, specifically the officer corps. Yeah. So the army has a very formalized evaluation process. Right. So if you're the first line leader of somebody, you're referred to as the raider. And if you're the second line leader, meaning you're the raider supervisor, you're referred to as the senior raider. So when we were deployed in 2021, there were about 55 people that I was a raider or senior raider on. So that means I was in charge of putting together their evaluation, providing stuff for their career and so forth. Well, if you even branch the tree out a little further, well, those 55 are responsible for a large number of people. And so you're constantly touching somebody with, with the message that you can provide to develop somebody along. So within the 55 people that I was directly on as, as their raider or senior raider, you got to have a lot of conversations with them. Yeah. Early on in my career, it would be the conversation would go like this here, hand them a document. Here's what you're supposed to do. Uh-huh. Now it's turned into, tell me what you would like to accomplish. What are your goals? Yes. What, is your, what are your family goals? What are your personal goals? And really get them to tell you. And then if it's in the military, you know, if an officer tells you this is what they want to achieve, you know, someone from my position should be able to write it out on a piece of paper. Okay, to achieve this, this is exact, this is general idea on what you gotta do. And a lot of times within those conversations, if I'm talking to somebody, what your family goals, what your personal goals. You know, I have young children and I've, it'll be, I'll be married 10 years in March. Mm -hmm. 
I supervise a lot of people who are way more experienced in that in those personal levels than I am. Now I get to learn some stuff. How, how have you been married for 20 years? How do you balance a military career with kids in high school? You know, and, and so you get to learn from them and, and file that stuff away and see what, what works for those people to be successful. I really like that. And that, I think that's, that's part of that, part of that, uh, you know, one of the virtues is humility. And, yep. you know, anytime, and, and we describe the, the grade eight network of, of virtues as a spider web, right? They're not, they're not isolated. You, you touch a spider web over here and it impacts all these other areas because it's interconnected. And so if you think about humility in being able to kind of collaborate with someone and learn from someone, when we, when we talk about accountability, it takes humility to be accountable to someone. And I'm not talking about your formal rank, but if that person has something to teach you, right. And, and you may be, you may be above them from a rank, but if they have something else to teach you, whether it's life, family, whatever that is, like your example with marriage, then you're accountable to that person because God's put them in your life, right? You, right. To, to, to teach you something and to show you something, you're accountable to being able to learn from that. And I think that's in, in many organizations that we deal with, there's a, especially when the, the founder or the owner is at the middle of the circle, that's that delegation question, right? They've got to be the one that makes all the assignments. They can't empower their team to go ahead and work through some of those things. But if you don't have that accountability where the person can hold the person above them accountable, just the same way there from a formal structure standpoint, the person above them is holding them accountable. If you don't have that two-way street, then there's not, you, you can't have a conversation. And I think that's what I really loved about that. And in, in conversations are where you learn things, conversations where you free feel free to discuss things. And, 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 you know, I guess that's, that's when I listen to, you know, kind of some of these things and that stereotype of you go do this and you go do that. And, you know, I'm gonna go do this thing over here. You kind of sense that absence of relationship in the middle of all that. And so you really have, you have 55 people, huh? When we were deployed. So, yeah, yeah, 55 people that you're directly evaluating. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, that sounds like a lot, and it, and it is, and that's a that's a time-consuming process to somebody. And you're supposed to have, by Army regulation, you're supposed to do one once a quarter. It's this very standardized form, and I don't really like the form because it's, it's so formal. But there are requirements, yeah. to be honest, the... Uh, it's very hard to do quarterly evaluations on 55 people throughout a year. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd, yeah. I'd say it, it's hard to do 10 per quarter throughout the year. Yeah. And you know, it's almost, it'd be a full-time job. And so, yeah, a lot of times you're, you know, your evaluations with somebody or your quarterly, normally calls them quarterly counselings, but you know, I've pulled people to the side and during field training exercises, they talk to me about what your goals are for the next quarter. And you can, you can get a lot accomplished by removing distractions, taking off your Kevlar, putting your weapon down, yeah, drinking a cup of coffee while, you know, while you're trying to get out of the field and just hearing from somebody for 15 minutes. 
Yeah. It's, okay. Yeah. Now I understand what this person wants to accomplish. I don't need to tell them anything. They're, they understand the objectives and they got it. Yeah. The, so it doesn't have to be the, a, doesn't have to be a rigid sit down at a desk and have a, have a, you can have those things as, as you kind of go along through your daily yeah. activities. Yeah. There's a time and place for that, but, and you got to look at the person. Some people don't want to do that in a field. Some yeah. people it's better to do that in a field. So it's, it's dependent on different people. And in an organization like the Louisiana National Guard, so it's my full-time job. Yeah. And I do have businesses on the side. But for the majority of the people, it's their part-time job. Right. And, you know, there are real estate developers. There are school principals. There are people doing every industry in that. There are financial investors. There are every industry is in the National Guard. And if your eyes are open and your ears open, you want to listen, you can learn so much from other people. And now when you're invested in somebody and you learn and you can follow up with their career or have that humility to learn something from them, they, there's a little bit of respect that you gain with that. Yeah, I don't think that's one, that's one thing that most people don't realize about the National Guard is that every the, the, the people who are in the National Guard come from all different kinds of walks of life, and, and, but predominantly that, that most of them are doing something else unless they're called in to do that, right? If they're in, in, right. So how does that work? So some, somebody, you know, I'm a, I'm a financial advisor, say another financial advisor joins up and, and what, what's, that, what's that process like for them? to join up or how does it work if they get called up? Yeah. So what is their, what is their service look like? So they're called up or, or, you know, they report once a month or is it one week in a month or how, what does okay. that look like? So, so standard training for a national guardsman who it's their part-time job. It's one week in a month, two weeks a year. That's what the contract says. Yeah. Now, depending on your rank, and your position with the organization, there are things you're going to have to do outside of the one week in a month because those counselings I've talked about, well, you, yeah. you can't do 55 counselings on 12 weekends. No. But I'm full-time, So, but if there was a, a commander that held my position who had another career, mm -hmm. he would have to do that kind of work outside of drill because if you're in your office and doing some of that administrative work you're not present with your with your unit so a lot what a lot of people may not be aware of is the commitment to the organization 365 365 days a year soldiers that are in the national Guard or army reserve are, are really committed to the to the military you, yeah, you know, I know, you, I know, I know most people don't understand that. I mean, you, you got to maintain your medical, medical health, mm -hmm. physical fitness. You can't, you're not, you can't do drugs. Mm -hmm. You know, you gotta, you gotta do all these things to be proficient in your job and your leadership ability. Mm -hmm. And to, to be effective, you can't just show up Saturday morning and figure it all out. You got to right. be present with your unit throughout the year to help plan activities and put your team in a position to succeed. Yeah. 
I love that. So tell me that you've got some, you've got some notes you showed me before we officially started this podcast. You, saw, you showed me some notes where you've jotted some things down that you're hoping to memorialize in, in for other people to listen and learn from, right? In, in, a, in a book. Yeah. Walk, walk us through some of the, what your perspectives are and some of the things you're hoping to communicate through the book. All right. So my general idea of this book is 10 leadership topics in 100 pages. I don't have a title for it yet, but I wanted to give myself a goal of 100 pages just so I know when to reach the end. Right. Ideally, all 10 chapters will be 10 pages, but some are going to be longer than others based on my experiences. Sure. And a lot of this is things that I've read or failed at or been successful at. And for me, the book is more of a way for me to refine my most 10, the, the 10 things that are most important to me. Mm. I can memorialize this and hopefully I have 10 more years in the military. And this is a reference for me. So I have some different things on here. One of them is you got to take care of yourself to be a leader. Yeah. Yes, you have to put others first. You have to put the well-being of others first. But if you're, but if you're leading anything and you're not mentally in it, yeah, you're not taking care of yourself with whatever is important to you. You don't have a hobby. You're not taking care of things at home. Yeah. You're not going to be in it when you come to work. Yeah. yeah. And, and then your team suffers. Mm. Right. But you, you can't always take care of yourself before everybody else, but it's an important thing to note that you have to take care of yourself. And I see it a lot. People move up in rank. Well, or even responsibilities in the civilian world, they get promotions. So they, you know, the first thing that goes is the gym or the eating habits. And then, you, you know, you're sleep, you're working more and you overall, you become less effective. Leader development is others is leader development and developing others is very important. Mm-hmm. So for me, some things there and developing others, I always find that it works best in face-to-face conversations. Email, if you're going to email somebody something, you know, I guess there's a time and place to provide correction or praise via email, but it makes so much more of an impact face-to-face. All right. When yeah. you're praising somebody, praising public, and when you're reprimanding or providing a little bit specific training, do that in private. Yeah. I used to not understand the fully part of doing things in private. I didn't really understand the impact that it had on others. Even though it might not have impacted me. Yeah. It's still, I I needed to take myself out of it just because it didn't impact me to get reprimanded in public. I took it as a challenge. Yeah. Others, others don't see it that way. Yeah. Yeah. One, one other, one other thing that we've, when we have some miscommunications, we'll put it, we'll kind of classify it like that in our business at legacy with our, with our team, they're, 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 the, the thing we, we get tripped up on is when we start to text, uh, text. A, it, it, and so we've agreed, Hey, you can, you put it in an email, you put it in a text message. 
there's all kinds of miscommunications that are going to oh. pound off the original one, right? Versus yeah. pick up the phone, just say, hey, this is how I feel. Whether it's annoyed, mad, angry, disappointed, hurt, whatever, that this is how I feel. I'm not saying you intended to do it this way, but this is how I feel. We got to talk about it at some point. Yeah. And then getting together face to face to hash it out. Yeah. But that ain't easy. Sometimes you just want to be mad. You know, you you want to you want to put a little zinger in there in that in that text message. Yeah. And then providing or providing instruction or key information via text is I just can't stand it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not (laughs) it's not a recipe for thoroughness and actually getting the job done. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit more on developing others. You know, I talked yeah. about learning from the other person. What do they want to achieve? I think I think it's important to do leadership development events away from the work environment. Mm. First time I met Phil Nico, we our discussion was about him coming to the battalion and doing an event for the officer corps. So yeah, he did a four day event. It was like a crammed four hours of the leadership conference. Yeah. But it was so different than than anything anybody had ever experienced. Yeah. We had a great venue. There were no distractions. It was off site. Uh And it was, it wasn't even about how to be a better officer. It was about how to be a better person. Yeah. Talked about integrity and a lot of the things that you've, it was from his book and so forth. So. Sure. Yeah. You know, your leader development doesn't have to be related to the organization. Hmm. Let's see here. We talked about being transparent and vulnerable sometimes. Controlling your emotions is important. Hmm. You know, in the army (laughs) and the stereotypes you see it on TV is loud and abrasive. And that's just not really effective the majority Hmm. of the time. You can't have a, a voice yeah, there's times you got to yell to because it may be loud or, you know, the, the distance is so great that that's, you got to yell to somebody to hear you or sure, it's a, safe, sure. a safety violation. But if you're yelling, there's, there's a breakdown there and it most, and the fingers should point at the supervisor. Mm. You know, if you're, if you're trying to just communicate the job description or something, now, unless it's some egregious act it may foster yelling, but for the majority of the time, just communicate it in normal language. I like what you just said. It yelling points back at the supervisor. Yeah. And what I found that the person who really gets most affected by the yelling, it was me. My blood pressure would get up. I would get the most aggravated. Yeah. And at the end of the discussion, you're mad longer than the other person. The other person's like, the heck with that guy. I don't care what he's got to say. Yeah, I'm going to keep doing what I got to do. And then you're the one holding the feelings the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think we can, I got, I got my youngest is six, your oldest is six and mine go up to age 12 and I 11, 12, one of the other 12 or 11. I, I, I lose track every now and again, but my wife has to say, Hey, when you are raising your voice, as soon as you started raising your voice, they quit hearing the the kids quit hearing the words coming yeah. out of your mouth. They just hear 
the volume. Yeah, that's right. Not actually paying attention, right? They're just looking at a guy who they're trying to figure out is he is he what just happened mad mad or is he just like yelling you know what exactly is going on and when they realize you know it's not actually a dangerous situation then you know they're not paying attention anymore and one of the i i talked to somebody who was kind of kind of going through from a from a scientific approach what is the biggest gap between someone who can be successful and I mean successful in in you know kind of people kind of lump it in with you know keeping a job getting a job keeping a job holding advancing through the job doing a good job applying yourself relationships different things and it's showing up right being consistent showing up and then self-control oh yeah self-control and that's why I love that controlling your emotions and because that's the only thing you can control right you yeah. can't control anything else around you, but you yeah. can control how you respond. That is your choice. The first time that became really present to me, and I was a, a young officer then, was when I went to ranger school. Mm. And so in ranger school, you go, you're in charge of these various different missions. There's no rank on your uniform, even though people oh. from di- people from different ranks and different branches of the military, people from different countries are there. Everybody's the same. Mm. Nobody's sleeping. Nobody's eating. Everybody's tired. Things are going to go bad. And then there's things that are going to go bad that make you not pass your patrol or pass your graded evaluation. But if you don't control your emotions, it's going to carry over to the next thing. And you have to just learn how to be calm and say, hey, it didn't go well. We'll get it the next time. And then you, most of the time when it didn't go well, again, as a leader, you got to say, what did I do wrong? How can I fix it? And if you your emotions are all over the place, you don't even have the ability to see that, to find out what the real problem was. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it really... Cause you can kind of look and say, well, I want to accomplish this and I want to do that. And I want to accomplish this and I want to be this. And I want to do, you set all these different things and achievements and goals and everything else. There's a lot of people who accomplish goals and along the way, there's just nothing but a path of destruction behind them. Oh yeah. Yeah. And those are the people that I, I did not want to emulate. And yeah. really a lot of the, and a lot of that is what I saw in the military where people working long hours, we're fighting two wars. Everybody's been stretched thin until 2009. You know, you're always facing another deployment. <clears throat> Yet people were getting successful. The units were getting things done. But a lot of times it felt like there was just a trail of destruction just around other people. And I did not want to look behind me and see a trail of destruction. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Give me a fifth one. Because I gotta, I gotta make sure you get to where you need to be on time. You gotta, you gotta establish a vision. Mm-hmm. And what do you really want your organization to do? And you have to repeat that over and over and over. And so, I mean, your vision needs to be specific enough to where you can repeat it over and over and over. If you, if you're, if you're, what you're wanting to achieve is so large and so many specific objectives and it's very confusing and so forth 
you don't even have the time to repeat that, repeat that over and over. It's not simple. It's not easily understood. People can't pass it along to somebody else. And so once you establish that in, in a clear vision, you communicate it, you can bring it up in nearly every conversation that you have. I'll give you a recent example because examples are what people can learn from. Yeah. On our recent deployment, I wanted to find a way to measure success other than us accomplishing our mission. We were mm. in charge of engineer operations in eight countries. Mm. We had anywhere from 700 to 1,200 soldiers, depending on unit rotations and so forth. You got people working 24-7, equipment all over the place. Sometimes you're, you're communicating with people who you've never even met yet based on when you got in country and safe and safety infractions is what we settled on. Now, I stole this from a book I read, The Power of Habit, hmm. where he references a story, and I don't remember the business name, maybe it was Alcoa, but anyway, they got a new CEO in and all that CEO cared about was safety. And the premise was if we report every safety violation, no matter how small, that means our organization is communicating. So what we did was we adopted the same thing. I required everybody to report up every thing that happened, no matter what it was. It could be a vehicle bumping into something, even if nothing was damaged, they would report it. And then what we would do is we would share that information. And it wasn't to call out anybody or embarrass anybody. It would say, hey, this is what a unit did. This is what they could have been better. Make sure you're able to implement something like that in your organization. Yeah. So, so at the end of the day, our battalion safety officer, he would send me a report. This happened. This did not happen. Whatever. And then if we won, our number would increase at the end of the day. And if we, we would have a, a W in the win column, if we lost, we'd have a W a L in the loss column. So in the battalion headquarters and every unit, every facility we had across eight countries, it had the scoreboard. It would get updated every day. Mm -hmm. And some units had some pretty good records and they would, they would maintain their own scoreboard for their internal tracking. So we went this, this whole, whole long deployment and uh, we would count things. So I think, I think we ended up with 12 or 15 losses throughout a whole deployment. And that doesn't mean that these were major accidents. It could be one day somebody got dehydrated and fell out. Okay, we won't count that today. But if it's a trend, we will count it to prevent it from happening again. Yeah. So if it happened the next day, okay, everybody, we get a, we get a loss today. And then, so we incentivized the units. If you went so many days, I think it was 60 to 90 days without a safety loss, you got a day off. Well, a day off on a deployment is a huge thing. Mm. I believe all of our units received, all of our units except one received the Army Safety Streamer. And really what this does is it means everybody comes home better than they were. We're not damaging a bunch of equipment, wasting the Army's money. And, and that was really the goal, is to bring everybody home better than they were. Yeah. And we did it under the, the lens of safety. Yeah, yeah. Every day, 
that was the yeah. last email that was sent out. And when I came to work the next morning, the scoreboards would all get updated. I updated my scoreboard and it was a, it was a battalion wide thing and I found it to be effective and we just did it for our past annual training this year. And we came out of there with a pretty good safety record. So yeah, I think that's the, that. the, the, the avoidable mistakes, the things that you can avoid if you're paying really close attention to them. Yeah. And, and things happen. And, and again, it wasn't to call anybody out, but a lot of times it was your accidents are you didn't have the right, the driver wasn't trained. You know, one time somebody was on a roller. We had this big area in Saudi Arabia where we were leveling for a future base expansion. Well, they had an unlicensed driver on the roller. And what did he do? He got too close to the ditch. It tilted over. Nobody got hurt. But the, the lesson was, hey, you got to have the basics. You got to have yeah. licensed people on the equipment. Yeah. Or if you're, if you're training the guy, don't train him near the ditch. It's <laughs> some of those simple things. I, I think that could be uh, maybe the title of your book. Don't train near the ditch. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I'm writing that down, Russ. There you go. I did contribute a little bit, huh? Yeah. I'll give you some royalties, even if it's a dollar. Hey, I'm okay with it. Don't train near the ditch. And so, so we, you yeah, know, I want to take, take a moment to go on to that safety thing. So yeah, a lot of times what you got to measure isn't even the mission of your organization. And that is what that CEO who took over that company did in that book, The Power of Habit. And people, and you can read up on this. He got a lot of flack for that initially. Yeah. But what, what happened is, you know, the company went on to be way more successful. So you got to find something that everybody can get around, you know, with the safety. That means everybody's talking. We're, yeah. not hiding, we're not hiding information. If something bad happens, they know they can present the information up the chain of command. They know I'm going to treat them with respect. Whereas if we hide something, no matter how small it is, those are the, that's where the consequences is. And especially in an organization like the military where people's lives are at stake and there's so much at risk, you have to communicate, you have to be honest, and you, you have to do so many things that ensure people get home. Yeah, we, there, there's a, around that same safety kind of situation, there was a, a project we worked on and, you know, a lot of times you're, you're, you've got businesses that there's, there's nothing physically unsafe about it, unless the person just chooses to, you know, they don't get out of their chair, they don't move around, they don't tend, you know, right. But then we have construction companies that we have as clients as well. And we're working out these different wins and, and, you know, it's not always a financial win, right? right. And that's what we talk about. We talk about profit, the collaboration effect on profit, the CEOP. And profit is not, it is just an advantage, right? That's, that's what that, that's what that word means. It's not always a financial profit. So in order to, in order to outline all of the things that can protect a financial profit, right? If you do your job well, and you, you build out your projects and you cost measure and you do all the different planning and everything else, then you have to go execute on the job. But while you're executing on the job, what are the different things that lead to the fulfillment all the way around? And one of those, especially in the construction world, is safety. Yeah. 
And so if you've got people who are running projects and, you know, you got a, and, and I don't know what, if this is a true statistic, but, you know, you, you look at people who have these big events, you're doing all these, you're on a tight schedule and, you know, you got people who are, who are just getting the job done. Right. And you've got somebody that, you know, they, they're trade crafts, trained craftsmen, they're, do, you know, journeymen doing some sort of job like that. They don't have a backup plan. They can't just change the job if they get hurt. And so people mm -hmm. put that, that safety question on the side and that, that I think communicates to so many people in different work environments when their safety is a priority, not just to lower the insurance cost of the right. employer, right? But because that person and that individual is a priority, those are the ancillary things that will happen. That's right. Do so it for the right reason. For us to be safe, that meant we had trained people yeah, we, we had the right leadership in place. We were there on time. We had the right equipment there. If we were doing the area clearance to make sure there were no IEDs there, that means we followed all the protocols to clear the area. We had the right equipment in place. We weren't clearing for IEDs with the wrong type of equipment. It, all these things had to come in place. And if we were truly safe, then you knew, then the mission had no chance but to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I just say for myself, my perspective, which I think in my humble opinion, everybody else listening should also, we go about our doing our, our work on a day to day. Most of us go about doing our work and we don't have to think about our life being in the balance, but you guys, y'all over there clearing IEDs and, 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 you know, that's some, that's some serious business. You know, you mess up with something like that. It's a real big deal. But the majority of people listening, they don't have a, a, a life-threatening situation going on in their workplace, but that's not an excuse. Many people take that opportunity and say, well, it's not like anybody's life is on the line, but that's not an excuse. Doing things correctly is what is supposed to be done, and that's part of leadership, doing things the right way and caring about it being done the right way, I think. Yeah. So I'm glad we were able to, I'm glad that came out in the conversation. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, that, I think that's a, that's a big piece today is, and my granddaddy used to say that, oh my, he's a, he was a, a boy, he was in the Navy for a while and he was a boilermaker and worked in the different, in the union there in Charleston, South Carolina, working at the Navy yard in Charleston, South Carolina. And he retired and I spent a lot of time with him. He was a woodworker, did a lot of welding, just doing different, just, just different projects. Just to, what, what a great guy to be around. But there was a right, he, get, he always said, there's a right way and a wrong way. I'm going to teach you the right way. And if you choose to do it the wrong way, you know, you're doing it the wrong way, right? There's, there's that level of ignorance that if someone's willing to teach and you're learning do it the care about doing it the right way. And that's, I, I think, very important in that area. Yeah. So you still good on time or you got a, you got a skedaddle? Yeah. I got need to go get my boys from school. Well, let's, let's wrap it up with this. I think, do you have all 10? Do you have all 10 of your, your leadership lessons that, that outlined on your, in your notes? Yeah. Do you want me to recap them? No, I want you to send them to me. 
Okay. And everybody listening, we're going to include them in the description in the video, right? Yeah, so I can do that. Just, just to, everybody listening, go and get those. And I took notes on them and I wouldn't want my notes to be, rep I don't know if they're completely representative. <laughs> so you, you kind of map those out and I'm excited about reading the yeah, other, I'm excited little, about reading the other 95 pages. I think I got the, about uh, five pages worth, worth of highlights. So I want to, yeah, I see it. That's the genesis of the book. I love it. I love it. That may be, need to be your logo with the name. Being, what did we say the name was going to be? Don't train, don't near, train the near the ditch. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> so Josh, keep you on time and, and, you know, everybody listening, thank you for joining us, Josh. Thank you for, for talking about not just your background and kind of where you came from, but just what you're doing right now. Thank you for your service. Thank you. Thank you to your family for, you know, you, you having a, having a, a dad and a husband and, and leading in, in serving our country, but thank you for caring about doing it the right way and, and passing those things on to the, the people around you that's really important and we appreciate that i appreciate you having this platform where people can learn and improve yeah awesome well this is this has been a great session i've learned a lot and i've taken a lot of notes and uh, you know the secret to hosting this podcast is that i get to talk to really a lot of really smart people and i take and i take notes the whole time so i'm not really you know it's it's a it's such a benefit for me so thanks for being on and look forward to the, the next conversation we get to have. And everybody listening and watching the podcast, check the notes for different things. we got a link to the book that you mentioned and, and your 10 points. And, and anybody wants to reach out to Josh and, and hear some more points, just contact us here at Legacy and we'll be able to connect and get some feedback to him. So appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks again. And I look forward to the next time we're able to talk. All right, thank you, Russ.